Having me over here. It's been, I uh, think, so since December. I was here last with doing the uh, family communion um, Sunday, and I think we've got that planned again for this year. So yeah. I guess a third year makes it a tradition, right? <laughs> so I get to be with you guys again, and it's already on my brain. So um, always, oh yes. You gotta speak up. I will. I will get warmed up here. <clears throat> but anyway, um, just thank you again for having me back tonight um, talking about community groups and so um, Dave uh, was really encouraged was a real encouragement to me that he was telling me about how you guys had voted in community groups that you guys have never done that before and so I was like well that's awesome and I'm glad that you're doing that so you know we kind of he's asked me questions about uh, my experience with community groups I've been in churches that have had them um, on and off for a long time and um, so I have some some different observations that I get to bring in um, tonight, um, hopefully to encourage you guys, to help you guys um, as we learn from each one's giftings and what we've all been through um, in our walk with Christ, in the Word, walking together um, underneath Him anyway. So hopefully I can, I can do that for you tonight. Um, so thank you guys again for letting me into your lives um, as a person that I guess to introduce myself if you don't know. Uh, my name is Adam Cochran. I also go by Ray Ray. Um, we've got the Tag Your It podcast together. I'm a Missouri Baptist uh, Network apologist as well as just a barber um, by trade. That's my lovely wife over there in the corner. Her name's Cassie and I've got two kids, Iris and Chet, um, that we have together. Um, 13 years of marriage now. Um, only by the grace of God is all I can say um, that we're together and uh, she's an amazing servant heart and you know just all those gifts of God that uh, we're going to end up including in our discussion tonight you know he's been good so that's you know that's who I am and just being a ministry partner you know I'm a part of the church which means I'm your brother you're my sisters my brothers my mothers you know as Jesus said so um, thank you for letting me be here so um, tonight, as we're talking about uh, community groups, from the outset, I want you to know my intentions for this evening. So first, my intention is I love Scripture. I love God's revealed Word, as we should all do that. So I come with a love for that. So I want to exhort you as a church in this decision to do community groups. On the another side of the fact is I'm also, uh, as all of us should be, just because I'm in a network of apologists, doesn't mean I'm that that there's a special segment of people that are just apologists. We are all called to defend the faith, right? Um, Jude says that we are to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. So there's an apologetic element in this. This is not just proclamation. This is also a defense um, because we need to realize when the church moves, it should move as a united entity. That's the way Christ has built it. And so we move in unity. We tread carefully on the word and firmly on it. And so tonight, hopefully, there'll be some preemptive strike against, you know, some false ideas of community groups that are out there. And maybe you guys have heard, maybe you guys are already kind of thinking about what they should be 
And so hopefully through the discussion tonight, you know, there'll be that defense of what the Bible says we should do. So whenever considering community groups, you know, we got to do what? What is the best thing to do whenever you hear a new idea from somebody that says that they're from God, they're speaking God's word, what do you do? And what did Paul commend the Bereans? He commended them that they searched the scriptures. He, so search me after I'm done here. Search me while I'm here. So if you want to, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Ephesians, and that's where we will um, be kind of going in tonight. So as you guys are turning the pages, um, let's talk about this. Um, so when I say community group, I bet uh, you already have some sort of conception. We live in this society, and we live in Christianity and churchianity um, to where we've already talked about this before. You've heard it from somewhere. And so you probably already have a conception in your mind. And so what might come to your mind might be a group of people meeting together on a night other than a Sunday, um, going through a Bible study, or maybe they're reading a Christian living book, and you guys are kind of like a book club together. Or you might uh, think about it being just a counseling session between people. You also might have the assumption that a community group, you know, you might think about what other people are in. They might be divided by some sort of social line. So you might have like a youth community group, a kids community group, or seniors or newlyweds, singles, whatever sort of social line that we can draw. You might have that in your mind of what a community group is. Also, community groups to you and in your mind could be the a fad. When we know that copycatting is very big in this society, very big in churchianity, so you know somebody can be like, well, hey, this is this new thing I saw at this one church. Let's try to do it here. And so copycatting is prevalent, so is pragmatism, which, you know, there are pragmatics that spring from a Christian life, but we got to make sure that it's actually springing from a Christian worldview, or else it, we know it's not going to work. And so we can't just have this external look hey look it's they're happy they're they're doing this they're doing that they could be doing something and totally being in sin while they're doing it and looking happy right and so you know we can't just go with pragmatism alone and we know that's a part of um, society a part of our culture because these things could lead to false community and we need to be aware of false community so community groups as an intentional ministry of a local body they are seemingly trendy recent inventions and a program of many co local congregations. And you may have these ideas because you read a book and, you know, it could be like small group books or cell group, life group, missional community type books. And you might have heard again or read something about this. But the question this evening is, have you taken what you have heard and measured it by the scriptures and so that's where we're going to get this information from tonight. This is where I want to, as you embark on this, you know, you, you might not know exactly what you're doing. You've installed this, you've seen it, you've read it, you've heard it. But uh, before we get to even the first time you guys get in a community group together, let's get that basis of what we need to know going into this um, sort of uh, venture as a community group. So from the outset, if you guys want to write this down, this is a great kind of basic definition that I think we can all agree on of what we observed a community group is. So this is our humanly defined uh, definition, but it is an intentional, smaller gathering of individuals in the local body, gathering outside of the meeting place and times for a purpose. And I'll repeat that again. It's an intentional, smaller gathering of individuals in the local body, 
gathering outside of the meeting place and times of the, for a whole per, or for a purpose. So this can be a biblically sound way to facilitate fellowship and maturity in the local body and display the wisdom of God. So I'm not sure exactly what your guys' motivations are um, as First Baptist Buffalo. I have a brief definition of what you guys want to do um, with these groups. And so I have a brief understanding, but I want us to lay that aside. So whatever you know, lay your motivations aside, lay your definitions aside. And then we'll just kind of spring from, I think, basically you can say that the definition that I've provided is that definition um, that we can go with tonight. Again, our definition, our earthly definition of these things. So when discussing community groups in the context in which we are, what is the best place to start? What, are we the church, right? So the context is the church. And so we can get to Ephesians, and if you look in uh, chapter 3 in, uh, in Ephesians, you'll see the first time that Paul uses the word church. And so Ephesians here is going to be a gold mine for what our understanding of what the church is. So the term church is a universal one with a few particulars. And this is where we're going to find out those sort of universe, that universal and those particulars. And it's the cool thing about Ephesians is that this, we see it that it's written to Ephesians, but actually there's a lot of manuscripts that doesn't they, they don't include to the Ephesians in it. And so we can actually, because of what's written in it, this letter was actually a circular letter for all those churches around that area. It was supposed to be passed around. So this is a this is like the most general, general epistle, I guess you can say. It goes around. Um, this is so this is not like a particular he's not like we don't see Paul particularly speaking to issues in a local community of people. And so this is, we can, this is why it's really good to take um, what he says about the church in this letter, because it's the general idea. So what are we to believe about the church? Again, let, let what your, is in your head go away. What are we supposed to believe because of the scriptures um, about what the church is? And so Ephesians 3.10, Paul first mentions the term church. This word is ecclesia, and it means called out from and two, with a definite article forming the church. So it's the called out from and to. Um, and so this is within the particular context of its mission to make known the multifaceted wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. So this is the who that Paul says he's preaching the mystery previously stated in this letter. And what is that mystery? That mystery is that through Jesus, the Gentiles which is rendered from ethnos, which is any non-Jewish nation or ethnic group, these Gentiles are co-heirs with, as what Jesus called, the lost sheep of the house of Israel in Matthew 15, 24. They're co-heirs with Israel, right? In the promise of Jesus through the gospel. So they come together here. This is a, part, a little bit more about the church. All this, again, as Ephesians 3.11 states, is according to God's eternal purpose accomplished in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who brought both groups into one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Therefore, the who cannot just be identified by this universal term church, which has eternally included people from every nation, but it can be found in the finer particulars, as Paul says in 3.2. He said he had briefly 
written about above. So let's go above in this letter. We can turn back to the opening of Ephesians. Paul lays out the beautiful gospel truths of those who make up this group. The church, as we see in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, is an assembly made up of individuals across time, ethnic lines, who have been blessed, chosen, adopted as sons, redeemed, forgiven, and guaranteed eternal life in the kingdom of God. This is all a part of who the church is as individuals and as a group. For in this mystery made known, Paul in chapter 2, 19 through 22 says, are the, are, these individuals are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, which is a building being put together and growing into a holy temple in Jesus, who is the cornerstone of the foundational teachings of the apostles, as individuals are being built together as the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So this should remind us of what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. He said, Who are my mother and who are my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. So in this letter, and with a note that Paul was writing to individual saints in various local assemblies, as was the pattern of his missionary journeys in establishing them, we have seen that there is a universality and an individuality to this term church. Firstly, it is the whole assembly of God, of those God has chosen from eternity in Jesus throughout time, that this manifests itself in the way the gospel accommodates to meet us where we are in local assemblies of those who are called out in two, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So, community groups, I'm going to state tonight, they should presuppose the church. When you think about a community group, you think about the church. Also, we're going to go down to the next point. Um, we have to presuppose the purpose of the church. So that being established, let's move on to the bit of context about the church. That is, it's to make known the multifaceted wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. And throughout the first three chapters, Paul has a continuing, a continuing cadence that always ends up being a big, as I say at the end of the show or podcast, is soli deo gloria. That's like Paul's big praise at the end of everything he says almost, right? And so it's to the praise of the triune God's glory alone. So in chapter 1, the blessings are to the praise of the Father's glory. In chapter 2, we see that the gospel is to the glory of Jesus, which then spills into the glory of God, his spirit dwelling with his people. It is then in chapter 3, we see that these people are the church, which has already been defined as a people called out from the world, saved from their sin, and called to make known God's glorious wisdom. This is the chief end, the goal of the church as proposed in Jesus according to the eternal plan of God. So, spoiler alert, all I, I, I have to say that we need to understand that one, or that what we need, or what we have seen is that we have a group of saved individuals that are saved into a community to do something which is what? What are we supposed to do as the church? We're a community of people glorifying God. That is the, you know, that is the chief end of man that got severed in the fall. And through Jesus Christ, what? We glorify God. 
So we need to understand that the church is not an end in itself, but it is a means to an end as revealed. Next, community groups presuppose what the church does and means then. If we're a means, we've got to understand what the church does as a means. So we now take note of something here. If we think about Ephesians, there's two divisions in Ephesians. You've got chapters 1 through 3, and then there's a big kind of split in the way Paul um, starts talking in chapters 4 through 6. And we can call chapters 1 through 3, you can call it orthodoxy or the truth to be believed. And then the rest of the letter in, three, in 4 through 6 is called orthopraxy, which is consistent practice springing from those beliefs. So this truth to be believed should lead us to consistent action, which is the imperative that Paul in the opening of chapter 4 um, said, he starts with it, and so this is the starting of the orthopraxy. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and with diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He goes on to say, recalling those universals of what Paul mentioned to be believed, he said, there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So those are the universals, and then he moves to the particulars, saying, now each one of you, or now to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ, or the gift of Christ. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he led captives away and gave gifts to men. And moving on to verse 11, he describes the giftings, the hows, that are purposed for what we have already mentioned from chapter 2, 19 through 22, that is to be believed. And it says, um, and, it's, and it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure and stature of Christ. So this is the means within the means to bring about the end. That is to say, the particular parts of the church that Christ has built and given gifts to working within the whole. So again, in this section, we're introduced with a continuum as well that these gifts were given so that those on the receiving end of the gifts are being equipped for ministry. So this doesn't stop, right? There's a continuum here. You're supposed to get, these people have gifts, they're using their gifts, they're giving them to you to equip you because you have gifts to then do what? Be the person that then gives gifts to other people and then it just goes on in a continuum. And so whenever we look, think about it, uh, you know, Paul passed the torch to Timothy, which then that's like the greatest picture here was what we're seeing. What does this remind us of? This reminds us of what Jesus said whenever, before he ascended into heaven. He said, go make disciples, teaching them to obey my commands, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? And I'll be with you always. This is how he's with us always. This is the church he's building. And it's a part of the Great Commission. So again, you're not saved and brought into Jesus' community, and that's the end. This is disciples making disciples making disciples. 
ellipsis, 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 until Christ comes back. And just think about it. We are, the church are supposed to be, the, be showing and displaying the multifaceted wisdom of God here. The Great Commission and using these gifts to pour into other people who then use their gifts to pour into people, how much more of a testament to God's objective eternalness than this objective continuum. This is how we show the multifaceted wisdom of God in the church. Paul goes on to say that because of the work of these parts within the church, he goes on to say, then we will no longer be infants tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching and by the clever cunning of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, who is the head. From him, the whole body fitted and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in the love through the work of each individual part. This is what makes sense of the universals and the particulars. And I'm just going to say this is a problem in philosophy until you get into Christianity, but that's a whole another subject that I'd have to read just a Van Til book for you, which that's even above my, my pay grade sometimes. So... But just think about this. Again, we're thinking about that multifaceted wisdom that we're displaying. Just think about this. This is a testament and a witness to the self-sustaining God who has called us to image him within his creation. He has built within the church that continuum that also sustains itself. The church sustains itself. And so that's how we can witness to the all-sustaining God because he's the one that's giving the gifts. It reflects him giving the gifts to the world around us. So that is, to, that is to say, if we take this instruction seriously, we have and know God's will for us. Everybody's out there, what is God's will for me? What is God's will for me? We know it. Paul has said it. He has delivered it. This is the message that he's delivering to the church. We know God's will for us. As Paul says to Timothy, God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. God's household, which is the church that Christ is building, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. So, let's think about community groups. Let's think about orthodoxy. Let's think about orthopraxy. Let's think about all this stuff in the church. And I hope that by now you've already got the issue here. I hope you understand that and, and have realized that this doctrine of the church we already have a God-ordained, we already have God-ordained individuals in a God-ordained community with a God-ordained goal and shared means to that goal. Even as Peter has spoken about it in First uh, Peter first or First Peter one three through seven, it's, he says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Brotherly affection with love. Community. So especially since you guys here at uh, First Baptist Buffalo, you've been um, going through the book of Acts for a while. And you have seen how this truth has worked out in Jesus' continuing work through the Holy Spirit from the universal church funneling into the particular, the local bodies, which then funnels into the singular, the individual, 
within the continuum of equipping the saints for ministry who do likewise. Discipleship. This is a discipleship thing. So the big question that we should ask ourselves this evening should be, why, if we are already a particular community within the whole, according to the infinite wisdom of God, what necessitates the need and the want of community groups as we in our finitude have defined them? We are already a community. We're already a section of that universal. Why? Why do we need community groups? Well, that begs another question. And here's the big thing. This is what we all need to deal with. And even since I've been a part of community groups, I am no better. So I'm not trying to you know, push anybody down with this. But this is a big question we need to ask ourselves. Are the faithful saints in fill in the blank, tonight being Buffalo, FBC Buffalo, are the faithful saints in, at FBC Buffalo, are we being faithful to Jesus and to each other in living in community as it is to be believed from the scriptures that the church that he's building via the means he has given, which would lead to the truth of God being made known? That's a big question that we got to ask ourselves, and it might, we might uh, not want to think about that. Are we being faithful to Jesus? We might think we are, but are we? And has the, has the truth of Scripture brought those things into your mind where maybe we haven't been faithful and communing together, getting together, bearing in love with one another? And so that's the bigger question. We, do, we, do we need these community groups or not? And then asking yourself that question. So here's where I can talk about why I, others, and hopefully you um, have wanted community groups like the definition I've already given tonight, which again is an intentional smaller gathering of individuals in a local body gathering outside the meeting place and times for a purpose. I hope all of, that all of us saints can recognize that real and authentic Christianity or Christian community cannot happen on one day a week the way our culture has come to do things. That does not facilitate real, authentic Christian community as we've seen, as you see throughout Acts, as what Paul is calling us to here. Yes, we are called to come together to devote ourselves to the hearing of scriptures, read, and sing songs of praise as a covenant congregation. But this is just one avenue, one facet. Remember, we're talking about multifaceted, right? Like a diamond. We're just, this is just one of those little shining facets. And it's one facet of equipping the saints for ministry by those who Jesus has given gifts to, Community groups, as we define then, if employed, should then be a part of the display of the multifaceted wisdom of God. Therefore, community groups should not become a separate institution, but are a facilitating part of the whole, being the outflow of the church, not the inflow of the church. And by saying that, not, it not being the inflow, I'm saying that we should not... Um, that we should live by what Jesus has said in Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So if you've read a lot any books out there about community groups, you know, sometimes they're they're tools. They're tools for inflow. But this puts the cart before the horse. So some people, some churches are worried, like, how do we get to our culture? We're not relevant. We're not relevant. How do we get these people in? They're trying to get people into their doors, right? And they're so worried about it. 
And so they utilize community groups as a tool to manufacture their church. But who's manufacturing the church? Who do we know is manufacturing the church? Jesus is, through the Holy Spirit. Why are we trying to do something that Jesus is already doing? Do we think we're any, do you think we're better than Jesus and know better than Jesus about who he wants and how he's going to, and what he's going to do with them? So, you know, whenever we think about community groups, we cannot make them the way of inflow. Community is the outflow, and these community groups are the outflow. And this is something that I've had to, I've had to repent of. This is something that I have thought about community groups, where that, like, this is the way that we can be relevant in the society, and people aren't going to come to my church building and be with my church. Well, if, really, if you think about it, the truth is, if they're not going to be with their church, they're not going to be, they don't want to be around you. They don't want to be around Jesus. That's why they don't like you, because you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to talk about sin. You're going to talk about all those things that they don't want to talk about. And so, you know, it's the, again, this is the community dealing with itself, being that self-sustaining community. But I've had to confess about that. I've had to repent of that version because it leaves the sola scriptura hermeneutic that we all must have. So the big, big thing is we need to rely on Christ to build it himself through the Holy Spirit and the fragrant gospel which will smell sweet and itself attract those who God is drawing to himself through Christ as we live in a community that makes his glory known in word and in deed. That is to say, we will be attractional, we will be attractional because the gospel is attractional. Amen. And we rest on that. So therefore, as the universal bleeds into the local, the local should bleed into the smaller segment we are calling the community group, as it then bleeds into the particular individual, which will affect its relation, that individual's relationships in one-on-one, -on -one, either on the inside, which is discipleship, and the outside, which is evangelism. This is, these are the only terms that we get from Scripture. And we don't have to add to them, they're great. So in this concept, we can't leave, again, can't leave our hermeneutic of following the patterns of Scripture to devise what we think will work to establish these smaller groups within the church for discipleship and mission. Therefore, community groups too. So here's the, we got the orthodoxy, here's the orthopraxy. So therefore, community groups should, one, be under the same authority as the church. That is to say, Christ is the head of all facets of the term. And as we know from the totality of Scripture, these gifts that are given to equip the saints are people that are to be submitted to as they equip others to recognize their giftings and use them for ministry. So there should be no lone rangers in this. Personally, I have suffered through this. I had to sit, you know, I had a church where um, I was like, I want to do this community group thing. Okay, go for it. I trust you. You know, sounds cool. I can do whatever I want, right? Is that really that good <laughs> to, to be able to just to go willy-nilly whenever you've asked your leadership, hey, can I do this and can I have your help? And they're just like, well, you know, the test market, right? You know, so I really didn't have the whole leadership to guide in this process. You can, so you, you can't be a lone ranger in this because it has to be the whole community, you got to have leadership that is preaching. You need to live in community, right? If, you, if your leadership is just letting you go willy-nilly and they're not preaching, we need to get together. This isn't the only place where we can get together. This is everyday life. If you don't have that, 
if it's not being preached from the scriptures, if it's not being charged from the pulpit, how are you going to survive being a lone ranger in your own congregation going, this is what we need to do? Because in this, in this American culture, we only look to the pastors, we only look to the elders, and we haven't looked to each other. And that's why there's been this lack of community. So you can't do this as a lone ranger. The lack of oversight in a given church leadership can be um, a breeding ground for one, dissension. This is how um, bad things happen in churches whenever people with no oversight get together and they start devising their own plans and beliefs and that causes church splits over whatever issue. So it can't, it'll either lead to dissension or it'll lead to uh, the despair of a failed ministry because it's not done the right way. It should fail. The truth is it should have failed. Like in my situation, it should have failed because I wasn't doing it right, right? So I have to accept the fact. And I had to live with this despair and that sucks. So therefore, if you want to adopt community groups in this way, the whole must be on board because community groups are a community effort. Number three, community groups should look like the church and the community it's in. So the church is not segregated by any lines other than a relationship between those who can influence one another. Therefore, community groups should look like those bodies as they should scripturally exist. And flowing out of this last point, number four, the community group should bear the identity of the gospel. So flowing out of that point, community groups should not be segregated by gifting, felt needs, interests, or a project. Those can all be satisfied by the gospel that should be the glue of even our defined community group. And it's out of this gospel and seeking the kingdom of God first that the diverse nature of the group will be utilized to shape, like in the local body, the whole group that's together, which will then spring back up into the local body, springing back up into the church universal, showing that manifold wisdom of God. So therefore, community groups, by our definition, are a great opportunity to facilitate what Paul calls and directs the church to do, to walk worthy of our calling because of the gospel in a more intimate setting than just one to three lecture settings a week, which again, is that normal American church style. We must ask ourselves, are we actually bearing with one another? Whenever you just come here on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if that's all you're doing, how are you bearing with one another? How can you actually make each other mad? I mean, you might, like, sneeze at the wrong time. I bared with my brother today because I didn't get mad at him and yell at him for sneezing. I mean, that's the extent of, like, those little issues that pop up. But have you, have you guys been living in a community where you've had those things where you had to bear with one another? You know, and how can you do that just by coming here, consuming, and going home back to your personal sphere? So again, in American churches, we got to watch out because there's a, an idol of comfort and a fleshly aversion to friction. But as Paul admits when he says, until we reach unity in the faith, this implies that there's going to be friction, and it's a friction that we must embrace for our individual and community's good. This is going to happen. Just like what we see in the world, Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to hear wars, rumors of wars, all these horrible things. But what does he say? These things must happen. The disciples must have been like, you're crazy. <laughs> These things are, must, 
we got no, we got to stop those things. But Jesus is going, no, they they're just going to happen. But then again, this is what the church is designed for. Whenever we're at friction with the world, yes, we're at friction with each other, but we have that objective uniting thing, which is the gospel. So therefore, a biblically defined and practicing community group will utilize these gifts as Christ has given to his people to strengthen individuals with diverse giftings as they intentionally provide more opportunity for getting to know each other's relationally. Do you know each other? Do you really know each other? You know, is it not just your name, not just your job, not just those little things that we check mark whenever we first meet somebody, but do you know? Do you know somebody's problems? Do you know, because that's the stuff you need to know so you can serve each other, because that's what we're called to. Do you know each other deeply? And then this also facilitates a community in submitting to each other, bearing with one another, exhorting, rebuking, and reconciling with one another. So, you know, these community groups are great in providing that intimate setting, that intent, like you, you recognize that culture has bought you and you bought into the culture of individualism, right? I hope that you do. I hope that this, is, this whole idea of community groups um, is because you guys have felt that lack, I, I want to know my people more. And that's the greatest motivation to do these things. And so this is an intentional time. Um, again, it's just so that the local and the universal church will display the most multifaceted wisdom of God, which you know is revealing the triune nature of God as well, because one being three persons, unity and diversity, the philosophical problem that people are looking for is found in God. So as your church, as you come together and part off into these groups, understanding what the gospel looks like, and then making sure that your community groups look like that gospel as well um, is a big goal. So um, that's the conclusion of that. And what I wanted to tonight is to provide a time to where, you know, since I've been a part of community groups at Redeemer Church where I go, um, I'm in a community group right now. I've been through a couple, and there's a good little story there for that. If somebody has a question, I'll put that in there. I'll put it in there. Do you guys have questions? What's going on in the brain? Thank you.